Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, for being in right relationship with one another, with ourselves and with our planet. We are patiently persevering as we gather virtually and we are very grateful to those of you who are supporting this effort by your presence. Welcome. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. So one of the ways that we greet the divine on Sunday morning is by greeting one another. If you have comments in the platform on which you are watching this, please do greet one another in the comments. And if you are a first-time visitor, let us know where you're visiting from. Join me in saying our chalice lighting. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. British science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke formulated three adages that are known as Clarke's Three Laws, of which the third law is the best known and most widely cited. They are part of his ideas in his extensive writings about the future. These so-called laws are when a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. The only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. This congregation wrote its own mission statement so that it would guide us as we're making decisions together and moving into the future. We wrote it on the wall in our sanctuary and we say it together every Sunday. Please join me. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community.
Good morning. Today I'm standing in a cornfield. Corn is responsible for some of my favorite foods like corn tortillas, which can turn into tortilla chips, which can turn into nachos, an undisputable favorite food. Do you have any favorite foods? Do you think science could prove which foods are better than others? Or do you think all foods that people love are good? Let's find out. Every Night is Pizza Night by Kenji Lopez-Alt, illustrated by Gianna Ruggiero. Tonight is pizza night. So was last night. We're making pizza tomorrow, too. Actually, every night is pizza night because pizza is the best. This is a scientific fact. I have done the tests to prove it. Mr. Gonzalez knows my shopping list by heart. Everyone in the neighborhood shops at his store. A plain cheese can't be topped, Pipo, but how about some pepperoni this time? I admit, not everyone wants pizza all the time. Exhibit A, my papa. I long for grapefruit. Mama says, think of what you're missing. There's chicken pot pie. Chicken not pie. Peking duck. Peking yuck. Five bean chili. Don't be silly. French onion soup? French onion... Okay, but how do you know pizza is best if you never try anything else? What if Mama's right? My science teacher, Miss Buffon, says a good scientist always wants more data. Data, says Papa. You have the whole neighborhood. All right, I'll do it. I do not need to, I do not want to, but I will try other foods. I will do it for science. My neighbor Eugene thinks the best food is bibimbap. He is wrong. This is our old family recipe, he says. My pizza is not an old family recipe. Papa found it on a bag of flour. The colors in the old stone bowl are so pretty. I can't blink, even though I know I'm supposed to. It smells spicy. It smells stinky. It does not smell like pizza. I do not need it. I do not want it, but I will try it for science. Ah, it is spicy, and I love it. Crunchy carrots, cool cucumbers, and rice. You are so delicious, and there are so many of you. Bibimbap, you are a taste sensation. If being stinky is wrong, I don't want to be right. This is new. This is exciting. This is... Is this... Is this better than pizza? Thank you and excuse me, but I need more data. I stop at the end of the hall where Farah lives. She says the best food is tagine. You make it by cooking a bit of this and a little of that under a clay hat. When I smell tagine cooking, it reminds me of my old home, she says. When I smell pizza cooking, it reminds me of how much I love pizza. At the markets, you can get just the right spices for chicken, chickpeas, or even camel, she says. Do camels like pizza? Probably yes. The tagine is ready, so Farah lifts up the lid. Hmm, chicken is okay, and so are apricots, but together? Wild. I do not need it. I do not want it, but I will try it. I try another bite, then another, just to be sure. I can't stop. I'm a tagine machine. Chicken and apricots, you do belong together, together forever in my belly. And spices, show me the flavors. Is this, is this better than pizza? Thank you, Farah, but I need more data. 
Dakota lives down the street. She's got a pot on her stove big enough for Muncie to take a bath in. This is my mama's red beans and rice. It's the best way to make someone feel good. Maybe even better than a hug, she tells me. So when Papa gets sad, I cook up a big old pot for him. Does it always work? I ask. It never hurts, Dakota tells me. The beans look like big, shiny beetles swimming in mud. At least I know rice is nice. I do not need it. I do not want it. But I will try it. Once you've had bibimbap and tagine, nothing can surprise. Holy pepperoni, this is good! Garlicky, garlic, peppery, peppers, celery, cellars. It's like a great big hug around my belly. This is, is this, is this better than pizza? I still need more data. Ronnie and Donnie run the dumpling truck down the street. They say dumplings are the best. First, Donnie shared his dumplings with just me, Ronnie says. Then we shared them with all our friends, says Donnie. And now we share them with the whole neighborhood. They look good. They look warm and cozy. But the best, I kind of need to try them. Just for science, of course. Careful, Peepo. They're really juicy. Back off, Donnie. I'm a scientist. Ah, dumplings! Your middles are so hot and juicy. Your skins are so thin and stretchy. Little purses of delight. Are you better than pizza? Data, Donnie, data. I pull out my emergency pizza slice and take a bite. Then another dumpling, then more pizza. Then another dumpling. Mm, Dumplings are good, but pizza is still the best. It is scientific fact. So how can so many happy people be so wrong? I will ask Mr. Gonzalez. He knows everyone. He's tried everything. He will know what the best food is. Mr. Gonzalez, Mr. Gonzalez, I shout. What is it, Pipo? I have to know. Is pizza the best food in the world? Of course it is. He agrees. I knew it. I knew it all along. Of course pizza is the best. Pipo, pizza is the best, but it's not the only best. Huh? When it's cold out, the best food is matzo ball soup from Levi's. When I want an extra rich treat, it's Vincenzo's chocolate cake. Famous Fred's Famous Frank's are the best when I'm in a rush, or maybe that's Mrs. Mendoza's empanadas. Sometimes I just want hot buttered popcorn and nothing else will do. And of course, my mother's green spicy pozole soup is always the best. I say thank you and walk home. Is Mr. Gonzalez right? How can so many things be the best? How can science explain that? Pizza always tastes good. Does that make it the best? Is the best food a family recipe? Is it something that reminds you of home? Is the best food the kind that says, I love you, without making a sound? Or is it just something you like to share? I've got to perform an experiment. Time to get baking. Test number 99. Pizza party! Peepo, your pizza is the best. Tajine party at my house next week. Best pizza ever. The science is in. According to my new data, pizza really is the best. But I'm pretty sure there are still a lot more bests I can try. Papa asks, what's for dinner tomorrow, Pipo? How about green pozole soup? I hear it's the best. Richard Eddis was born in Frankfurt, Germany in 1912. 
After relocating to New York City in sometime in the 1940s, he became a well-known nationally recognized commercial artist. In 1967, on an assignment for work, he discovered his fascination with the Native American peoples. In 1975, his family relocated to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he continued his uh, advocacy for the Native American Civil Rights Movement until his death in 2008. In his book, Lame Deer, Seeker of Visions, co-written with John Fire Lame Deer, he wrote... The different religions confused me. Which was the right one? I tried to figure it out, but had no success. It worried me. The different gods, Catholic and Jewish and Protestant and Mohammedan, seemed very particular in the way in which they expected me to keep on good terms with them. I couldn't please one without offending the others. Then one kind soul solved my problem by taking me on my first trip to the planetarium. I contemplated the insignificant fly speck called Earth, the millions of suns and solar systems, and concluded that whoever was in charge of all this would not throw a fit if I ate ham or meat on Friday or did not fast in the daytime during Ramadan. I felt much better after this and was, for a while, keenly interested in astronomy. Now is the time in our service where we enter into an attitude of prayer and meditation together as far as we are able. Let us breathe together. Let us enter together into what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence. It is in this silence that we can experience our gratitude, compassion, and feel ourselves held in the arms of love. Breathe with me. As we continue in silence together, you are invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope, memory, or determination.
I love the quotation from Arthur C. Clarke this morning that Chris read. These three laws appeared first in his 1962 work, Hazards of Prophecy, The Failure of Imagination. Here they are. Number one, when a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. Two, the only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. Three, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. This morning I'm going to talk about uh, my faith in science and my uh, practice in mystery. And how they can go together. Which I don't really have the answer for yet. But you'll find that out at the end of the sermon. I want to start with a story. And I'm going to read you the story. Because I wrote it some years back. And I want you to pretend that you're at an author's reading in a bookstore. There's great rejoicing in the land today because my phone, which was lost, has now been found. It could only have been in one of two places, the campsite or the car. I'd been taking pictures coming down the mountain toward the campground, and then I'd hopped out of the car to claim the site while my beloved went to register us. I'd been reading Rumpole of the Bailey stories from an actual paper book while I waited for her. We set up camp and got back in the car to go on an adventure. I looked around for my phone because more beauty was coming and I wanted to be ready. I must have left it over by the tent, I said, and went to look. It was a fairly simple campsite and easy to search. The phone was nowhere. Over the course of the next few days, we took the car apart, took the bins full of clothes and gear apart, took the campsite apart. It was in picking up the tent sack to feel whether my phone was in there that I met a huge tarantula the size of my fist. Fortunately, we were both pretty laid back, the spider and I. And the enormous spider had an adventure that day, a lesson for some Mennonite homeschoolers about spiders before the spider was set gently back into the dry scrub. We were in my civic camping because the keys to our camping van had disappeared ten minutes before we were supposed to leave town. My love looked everywhere three times. They had vanished This kind of thing happens to us enough that we call it gremlins. We look in the usual places over and over. Most people who believe in the laws of thermodynamics would look once, eliminate that place, and go on to the next one. Five or six times, though, we've had the experience of looking in an obvious place. Just one more time, and there it is, big as life and looking casual, the thing that was lost. The gremlins have put it back, and they're giggling or doing a jig or whatever it is gremlins do. We still believe in the laws of thermodynamics, of course. They work so often. Three, two, one. I'm sure there are scientific explanations for each time something lost has popped up in plain sight in a place that's already been scoured. It's easy to see, however, how people can start thinking magically When matter persists, occasionally in behaving, well, magically, 
My faith is in science, but I try to keep an open mind. When something is lost, I pray to St. Anthony, the patron saint of lost things. I started this when I was Presbyterian, although Presbyterians don't believe in saints. I do not believe that prayer is begging the divine to do something that they would not ordinarily do, as if someone were sitting up there, arms crossed, waiting for you to ask before help was given, and then only if you asked in just the right way. I do not believe that prayer is only for the person praying, either. I think it's a kind of energy not yet understood. I do not think it's always harmless, as people pray sometimes instead of doing something sensible they might otherwise do. Were they not waiting on the divine to act? I don't really even believe in praying to St. Anthony. All that said, we prayed to St. Anthony to help us find the keys to the camping van, but they would not be found. We looked everywhere. Finally, we transferred all the gear to the Civic, packed it to the gills, and took off for West Texas. The next day, getting towels from a tub that had been searched twice, we heard the keys jingling. There they were. Gremlins, we said to each other. Then, the way one does, we thought aloud that maybe there was a reason we needed to know we could camp just as well in the Civic as in the van. This is another place where my day-to-day behavior is a bit at odds with my theology. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I can't hold on to a belief that would sound abhorrent if it were spoken in a refugee camp in front of a child whose parents had been killed by the Janjaweed. In a multi-layered mind, though, one's theology may not be strictly held by every layer of that mind. Some of my layers insist in wondering about the reason things happen. Most of us use our phones for everything. Email, music, home library, research portal, camera, social media, calendar... My phone was gone. We drove home without listening to my favorite music. I felt the loss of the photos I'd taken in the desert mountains. Coming back to the world, I felt its lack keenly. What was on my schedule for the next day? Who knew? Was I free October 25th to speak at a colleague's installation, or was I doing a wedding that day? Good question. No answer. My office computer hadn't backed up my calendar the the way I thought it would. I didn't pray to St. Anthony about my phone. I think I was still sulking about the keys. Now an unbeliever, I went to the phone store at lunchtime to replace the thing, but I got so annoyed at the weight and the speed of which the staff were moving that I left. After work that afternoon, I went to a different store, got out of the car and said waspishly, St. Anthony, this is your last chance to talk to those gremlins and give me back my phone. I would really like that, as I hate setting up a new phone, and I love my phone, and I don't really have time for this. I decided to look one more time under the passenger seat where I'd been sitting while taking those last pictures before the phone went missing. I'd looked under there twice before, and so had my beloved. I reached my hand to pat around under there, and my fingers closed around the smooth face of my phone. Oh, gremlins. Oh, St. Anthony. Yes, I will be your playmate. I wondered what the lesson was here, even though my theology says this life is not a school and there's not necessarily a lesson in everything. Laughing to myself and shaking my head, I sing hymns of gratitude to this mysterious, mischievous multiverse. 
So I believe in science. I believe in data and truth, peer review, the ability to duplicate results, and the laws of thermodynamics. I believe fiercely in those things. Does praying to St. Anthony work in some kind of uh, replicable way? No, it does not. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Maybe does it work in some kind of a scientifically explainable way by maybe jogging your memory to think of something you haven't thought before or making a thought float up to the surface of your mind uh, in a way that it was kind of always there in your subconscious, but now the picture of where the thing is floats up. Maybe, but then it wouldn't explain the presence of matter in the place you have searched 13 times when the matter wasn't there before and now suddenly it is. I do not know how to explain that. And I think maybe science could explain the way you remember things, but I don't think science can explain memory itself very well right now, even so. Maybe I can wait for the explanation that will put my mind at ease. I love science because it evolves and it corrects itself, and it finds its own blind spots and tries to fix those blind spots. There's been a lot of junk science in the past that still affects our culture, especially, you know, the racist science from the late 1800s after the Civil War, when suddenly our culture needed a biological reason for believing that uh, the Caucasian race was superior. They needed a reason that science would back up. And so science found all kinds of biological differences among different ethnicities and measured skulls with calipers. And they um, decided scientifically that the Caucasian race was superior and that all other races were inferior, especially the black folks who needed to stay on the bottom of the pile in our culture in order for all the white people to feel safe. So this kind of junk science from the late 1800s still affects our culture when you see a detective show where the forensic anthropologist is looking at bones and saying, well, this is the skeleton of an Asian person or a Caucasian person or an African-American person. There are a lot of scientists who are extraordinarily uncomfortable with that and say, this is not real science, and I don't really think you can always tell uh, from a skeleton what the ethnicity of the person was. In fact, this whole science is rooted in the poisonous foundation of uh, late 1800s junk science that was, that was pushing to explain and legitimize a feeling that people wanted to have. But science evolves, and there are discussions about this, and I'm glad about that. And I guess what I'm saying is that science evolves, and so I think we should treat both science and the non-rational, the as-yet-unexplained, with respect and caution if we can. 
I personally don't believe that there's anything that happens in the whole woo-woo kind of magical world that is supernatural. I think it's all natural. I just, I just think we just can't explain it yet. Um, and I think it helps to have a skeptical mind about both arenas, the rational and the non-rational. As Arthur C. Clarke said, again, I love quoting him, I don't believe in astrology because I'm a Sagittarius and we're skeptical. He also said magic is just science we don't understand yet. So I'm willing to hold both in my heart and my multi-layered mind in this multiverse. I'm willing to approach both with humility and openness I think there are misguided folks and charlatans in both the rational and non-rational world who have blind spots and pretends, pretending things that aren't actually based in capital T truth. So I guess what I'm calling us to look at is one of our Unitarian Universalist sources. You know, we have the seven principles and then we have six sources from which we draw our faith. And the first source is this, direct experience. We draw from direct experience of that transcending mystery and wonder affirmed in all cultures, which moves us to a renewal of the spirit and an openness to the forces which create and uphold life. I think we humans might be a relatively primitive species still. And I think that imagining ourselves as the pinnacle of scientific knowledge and certainty is a mistake. And I think that we should gather the data from our own direct experience, as well as from the experiences of others and from all the other sources that we draw from. But your experience is important. My experience is important. And even if something that happened to you cannot be easily explained, it still happened. So let us hold an open mind together and be willing to be wrong. I invite you to join me now as we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. So much progress in our culture has been made by longing for the things that science fiction and fantasy writers have dreamed up. So much progress has been made through the imagination of people who can see a world that is different from the one we have. And then the technicians are inspired and the inventors are inspired to make that world true. Imagine the land that you want it to be. We're working for that land. Sing with me if you care to. Come go with me to that land Come go with me to that land. Come go with me to that land where I'm bound. Come go with me to that land. Come go with me to that land. Come and go with me to that land where I'm bound.
Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.